This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. CBS presents America Changed Forever with CBS News correspondent Jeff Pegues. Welcome to another edition of America Changed Forever 2023. We start out the week with this show in the House of Representatives. Yeah, I call it a show because it is a show. It's just, this is all unscripted. This is like reality TV, Capitol Hill style. And from a political perspective, an optics perspective, if you are a Republican, you got to be cringing right now. They gain control of the House of Representatives, which means committee assignments, chairmanships of important committees, House Judiciary, House Intel, especially if you want to investigate Joe Biden, Hunter Biden. But what we've seen this past week is disarray. And the Republicans are sweating when they shouldn't be. Here are some of the reports from this past week from my colleagues on the Hill. Nicole Killian. Three days, no member-elect, having received the majority of the votes cast. And ten votes later, a speaker has not been elected. No gavel for GOP leader Kevin McCarthy. We're just going to keep give working until we solve it. With his reputation on the line, the California Republican worked the floor, engaged in intense conversations, and he made new concessions to win over party holdouts. That includes making it easier for any member to oust the speaker and giving his opponents two seats on the powerful rules committee, which vets legislation. I mean, it's just a list of stupid platitudes. Some of McCarthy's backers feel the party's being taken hostage by the demands of a few. That's why animosity is so high. Um, The thing about a hostage situation is usually there's demands, and then you let the hostage go. As negotiations took place behind closed doors, far-right members appeared unmoved. It is not happening. And as it's been said, we need to get to a point where we start evaluating what life after Kevin McCarthy looks like. 
And Scott McFarlane. House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy is frozen in a stalemate with a faction of 20 fellow House Republicans denying him the votes he needs to be speaker. The group of 20 Republican defectors, which has criticized McCarthy for not being conservative enough, which has accused him of breaking promises, wasn't swayed by a request from Donald Trump that they back McCarthy and not turn a great triumph into a giant and embarrassing defeat. Even having my favorite president call us and tell us we need to knock this off, I think it actually needs to be reversed. The president needs to tell Kevin McCarthy that, sir, you do not have the votes and it's time to withdraw. With that, I yield. Thank you. The standoff threatens disruptions, especially to the newly elected House members that haven't been sworn in. They might have difficulty fielding questions from their constituents who might need help with Social Security checks, passports, or veterans' benefits. There could be a point at which uh, it does mean something uh, to the constituents that we serve, uh, whether we can engage in casework uh, on their behalf. And one Wisconsin Republican says he was denied a needed security briefing. I'm informed by House Security that technically I don't have a clearance. Because he's not an official member of Congress until a speaker is chosen. So that's what we're going to start off with. We're going to talk about the speakership. You know, the Republicans are going to figure this out. It'll get solved. But the longer it takes, the worse they look. Alex Gangitano is a White House correspondent for The Hill. Thanks for your time, Alex. Hi, thanks for having me. All right. What a week for House Republicans. <laughs> Quite the week. You know, as of this recording, I've been asked numerous times, is it going to happen today? The question being, they don't even mention McCarthy's name. You know, but just people say, is it going to happen today? And I just respond, I don't know. What a soap opera. Wow. Yeah, this is like a marathon. Uh, speaker's vote never happened before in history. Um, I don't want to talk about how this one ends, frankly. But I want to talk about the damage that it is already done to the Republicans in the House as they take control of the House. What do you think? Yeah, no, that's a huge factor about this. And, and, you know, the Republicans were already kind of bruised coming out of the midterm elections. They flipped the House, but it was in a much smaller margins than they expected. Democrats held on to the Senate and actually gained that critical 51st seat. So Republicans were already kind of in rebuilding mode and trying to figure out you know, their strategy going into 2024, do we, you know, keep this uh, dwindling influence of of um, former President Trump and let him kind of fade away? Or um, what about the Trump Republicans in Congress, these hardline folks? And those hardline folks are still very present. Those are the people that are, are opposing um, Kevin McCarthy. And, you know, the, the Trump factor is huge in all of this because he called on them to vote for McCarthy and they didn't listen. So, you know, that adds to the dwindling influence as well. So the Republican Party was already in a crossroads after the midterm election. And now they are, you know, even more. This really highlights that uh, phenomenon that I think they need to figure out, you know, uh, are we the party that's still kind of... Uh, reeling from the Trump days and letting um, these emboldened, hardline, right-wing Republicans keep their power? Um, or are we uh, a party that might try to consensus build and, and push more towards uh, the moderate uh, wing of the party? And I think this is uh, the way that this ends will really 
show what the future of of the Republican Party looks like. This is this is a critical time for the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. And I just don't know if in Republican circles that is being emphasized enough. Now, here's my point. I have said on this program numerous times that you may not like Mitch McConnell, but he knows what he's doing. Mm. He's really, you know, like Tom Brady said, I'm really good at this. Mitch McConnell is really good at what he does. He he can take the pulse of the mainstream Republican Party, or at least the the segment of the Republican Party that can win and figure out where to take members of the Senate. And he's done it. You know, this bipartisan celebration of the infrastructure bill uh, with President Biden, he knows where the people are at. And yeah, there are former President Trump supporters. But I think we can all agree the midterms, the message from the midterms is people want less circus and more done. People need, the people of this country, whether they are voting Republican, or they need something to change in their lives, especially as it comes to inflation uh, and so many other important issues out there. They're worried about education. They're worried about jobs. They're worried about finances. They're looking at what's happening in the House and they're saying, you know, how is this going to help me? How is this going to further the Republican agenda? It's a real serious question for the GOP as a whole right now. Mm -hmm. And there's uh, a lot of that, you know, goes back to the strategy that the Republicans tried to work through in the midterm elections. Um, They were working on pushing crime, uh, the situation at the border, which is still huge things that that Americans care about. Um, The economy is something that, you know, they were Republicans were trying to push that things are so much worse under President Biden, while Democrats were trying to push, look, we're, we're taking steps to curb inflation. We're actually acting while Republicans don't want to work with us on these big actions. So a lot of that is a huge component that they need to figure out their messaging here. Are we the party of um, you know, fixing the economy and getting Americans working again? Or are we the party of, of um, you know, just kind of blaming Democrats for for uh, for everything kind of thing. Um, and another factor is the issue of abortion rights. You know, going into the midterm elections, uh, it was really a question of how much do Americans care about Roe v. Wade being overturned and the messaging about that. And I think a lot of it proved that these really hardline extreme laws in a lot of states that are limiting abortion uh, is troubling to a lot of Americans. And, you know, with Roe v. Wade overturned, uh, so many of these, you know, so-called trigger laws went into effect that um, a lot of, I think, more moderate, independent folks uh, were were upset by. So I think that Republicans would be smart to kind of back away from that abortion uh, issue, maybe take the win of the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade and, and not you know, uh, drill into it as much going into 2024. So there's a ton of issues that I think they can learn from um, of how voters responded in 2024. I mean, I'm sorry, in the midterm elections going into 2024. Um, but you're right, you know, the issue of the economy isn't going away. Um, there's also, you know, the border, the president is headed to the border 
on Sunday. Um, I think he's trying to show that this is something he cares about and cares about fixing uh, going into a potential reelection for him. Um, and so now it's kind of that could put the ball in Republicans courts of, of so what are you going to do about about immigration if the president you know, is taking steps. What are Republicans doing? Uh, I, I I agree, and you can kind of, you can already see the White House now post midterm elections making a jog to the middle, maybe even uh, center right a little bit, and saying, "Hey, let's co-op this immigration issue down at the border. It's a bipartisan issue." You have Democrats who are taking Republican positions at the border or on the border because their cities and towns are being inundated with immigrants. And so this is a real problem for this White House. And the the president going to the border, that's an acknowledgement of that. But what it is also going to give him an opportunity to do is be be seen at the border with Republicans and Democrats figuratively rolling up his, his sleeves, trying to get something done. And if the Democrats can lead on this and get compromise in the Senate on border issues, that takes a, that takes a very important issue for Republicans away from them and going into 2024 in the general election. And Biden knows that. You can already see his his poll numbers ticking up. And so do you see that too? Do you see them, the White House, taking this stroll to the center right? You know, it's an interesting um, phenomenon considering President Biden is a longtime moderate Democrat. Historically, that's the kind of Democrat that he is. You know, what we saw yesterday with him uh, doing an event on infrastructure with uh, Leader McConnell. That's a very Joe Biden event to be working with Republicans, working with you know traditionalist Republicans like McConnell on an issue like infrastructure. That's that's kind of a win for all Americans. Um, and so I do think that indicates that he's ready to move more towards the middle. Uh, progressives are always going to be pushing for him to be more bold and liberal with his agenda. Uh, you know, something like student loans was a huge issue for progressives that they really, really wanted to see him act on it. Well, he did it uh, late last year. It's been held up in the courts now. You know, that's a mess that won't be sorted out until February. Um, and I think if that ends up being a win for Biden, maybe he'll say, okay, I've done enough, you know, on the progressive side. I, I did student loan forgiveness. I've done big, bold climate actions in the Inflation Reduction Act. Now I'm going to work on some more centrist issues and some more moderate policies. Um, How it resonates with progressives, I think, would be a huge factor as well. You know, would they abandon him in 2024 if they're not satisfied with his work over the next two years? Um, I think, you know, that will be determined by also who else is is in the race, you know, and um, if he gets primary, which is extremely unlikely, you know, so progressives are kind of in a tough spot there. Um, And so I think Biden knows that he knows he has a pretty aligned Democratic caucus right now, considering what we're seeing over in the House, everybody seems to be getting along on the Democratic side compared to 
the Republicans. And so I think this is a good time for him to say, you know, there's a divided Congress now. There's not a ton I can do legislatively anymore now that the House has flipped to Republicans. So I'm going to work on some you know, moderate executive actions that I want to see done. Uh, this past week, mate, uh, being elected speaker look really hard really difficult. Is it usually this hard? I mean, what what is the problem getting the votes? I mean, it's like voting for a homecoming king, isn't it? Or queen. It, should it be this hard? Well, I think former Speaker Nancy Pelosi would argue that it's not this hard. <laughs> she, she usually uh, did pretty well in these votes. There's a, a couple factors here. First of all, you know, the House uh, Republicans gained a lot less seats in the midterm elections than they wanted to. And so that makes it a very narrow margin that uh, Kevin McCarthy has. So the original five deflectors, now it's up to 20. Uh, that's taking away votes from this 218 that Kevin McCarthy wants. Uh, Democrat Hakeem Jeffries has been getting every Democrat on board voting for him for the next speaker, or excuse me, for the next uh, minority leader. And so that's 212 votes that McCarthy's not getting because they're Democrats. And so he needs to get these uh, 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 Republicans to align with him with only, you know, a few deflectors here, a lot less than 20. Uh, One thing that could happen is if people vote uh, present, kind of abstaining to vote, that 218 number can go down a bit. Um, And so he would maybe say five people abstain, he'd only need 213 votes um, in order to become speaker. That would take some deal making um, in order to get people to do that, to lower that threshold for him. So there's a big numbers game going on here. Um, and, you know, as it stands on Thursday, the numbers are just not there for McCarthy. Yeah, and all this, all of this goes back to the House. Or Republicans blowing an opportunity here to take advantage of what's happening in this country right now by focusing on, I mean, this is what they say, you know, we want to investigate Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. You don't hear them say, we're going to fight inflation. We're going to solve this problem at the border. We're going to make sure that you have more money. You don't hear that. All you hear is, let's investigate Hunter Biden. (laughs) Let's investigate Joe Biden. People don't want to hear that, Republican or Democrat. That kind of gets old right now. And what is happening is this president who... I don't know, just two months ago was seen as vulnerable because of his age is sort of looking pretty strong right now. His position is pretty strong because the Republicans cannot come together and just start governing in the House. What's also um, something that's making, you know, Democrats look really strong right now through the investigation Uh, kind of claims from Republicans is uh, last Congress when they, you know, controlled Congress, they were looking into January 6th. And that was something that uh, Americans cared about. We saw a bit of fatigue that Americans were, um, you know, maybe over it earlier than members of Congress were, or didn't want to hear much else about it. But there was still some interest there. But at the same time, Democrats were getting things done, and they were passing a lot of, um, you know, huge bills, and they were working across the aisle and 
in but for these big bipartisan bills like the infrastructure bill. Um, and so there wasn't a ton of, you know, oh, you're so focused on January 6th that that nothing else is getting done. I think if Republicans in the House are really going to lean into we're investigating Hunter Biden, the Biden family, you know, the Afghanistan withdrawal, all these things that they're extremely critical of Biden about, but they're also not getting things done, especially with a with a Democratic Senate. I think that will look really bad for Republicans that they're so focused on these investigations, but uh, big agenda items like fixing the economy kind of would fall by the wayside if they're not getting anything done. And I think Americans will notice that. And so it's a tough call for you know how much will Republicans lean into this investigation and kind of this personal aspect of the president while also trying to deliver on some of these midterm campaign promises like combating inflation. And I don't know how they do both, especially with all these divisions right now um, amongst the House Republican caucus and with a Democratic Senate that's not going to work with them if they're not doing things that are consensus building. If you are the Republicans in the House, you're going to really have to learn how to walk and chew gum at the same time. And at, at this point, after this week of all the different votes on speaker, it, you know, it's you, you might be able to, you can debate whether they can walk and chew gum at the same time. We will see. Alex Gangitano of The Hill, thanks for your time. Thank you so much. Let me just start by invoking the name of the former president because I want to get his side of the January 6th investigation out of the way. He has most recently called it a witch hunt, something we heard him say during the Russia investigation. He's also said that it's one-sided, and you can make an argument that the January 6th committee was one-sided. However, Democrats will fire back and say, well, McCarthy had a chance to appoint Republicans, didn't take that opportunity. And so now, yeah, I mean, you have Republicans on the committee who don't like Donald Trump. That's a fact. Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney, let's just say they aren't Donald Trump favorites. And you have other Republicans who are in the crosshairs of not only the DOJ investigation, but the January 6th committee, which has wrapped up its work. People who've been in the crosshairs saying that this committee has misrepresented the facts. And I get, I get how they would feel that way. But look at these transcripts. Their words, in some cases, those who chose to cooperate with the January 6th committee, these are their words, and we're reading them, and they're damaging. January 6th committee has text messages, and you know how candid people can be when they send a text message. I'm guilty. Let's talk about it with Jonathan Weiner. Jonathan, thanks for your time. Happy to be here, Jeff. All right, so in the last couple of weeks, the January 6th committee has released the transcripts. It's been this... Slow but steady drip of damaging information against people allegedly involved in the insurrection. What to you, of all of the transcripts that have been released, what to you stands out as the most damaging? Well, oddly enough, it's probably some documents that have only come out the last couple of days that were released January 2nd onto a government website, a federal website, not a congressional website, uh, by the committee, evidently with a desire to preserve these records regardless of what the incoming Republican House did. 
And amidst those new materials, which are very incomplete, but also very provocative, there are communications involving uh, Rana um, um, McDaniel, the head of the Republican National Committee. And in these documents, you see her directing and organizing and fully participating in the creation of the fraudulent electors from the states that Trump lost, but uh, where electors certified themselves as being his representatives and that he had won. And the reason that's so extraordinary to me is it shows that this was an organized effort, which as of mid-December 2020 involved the senior officials in the Republican National Committee, uh, as well as people in the Trump campaign, as well as the president. Yeah, it, it was something. And it was concealed. And what they did was highly organized, but also concealed. It wasn't something that they were saying that they were doing and telling the world, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this so that we can challenge the counting and stop um, uh, on uh, January 6th and stop Joe Biden from being certified uh, the winner of the presidential election. It was done very quietly and in a very organized way to set the stage for what was going to happen on January 6th. I also believe, based on all the information out there right now, there are some main primary suspects. And so these prosecutors, these investigators, they have a lot of evidence against all those people in terms of when you're trying to prove a crime, proving intent, it's a big part of this. And what they have is clear intent. I mean, this is a, a slam dunk case. I'm just speaking from a legal perspective. They are in such serious legal jeopardy. There's a lot of memory failure going on in the responses to questions and the depositions. There are a lot of people spending a lot of time justifying their actions. I mean, you've got, for example, Cleta Mitchell, associated with the Council for National Policy, CNP, who are people who really initiated uh, the effort to overthrow the results and participated in pushing for the fake elector scheme based on materials that they released as early as November 2020. And what Cleta Mitchell has to say for herself in her deposition is, Constitution says state legislatures get to decide everything else is illegal and unconstitutional. I saw a massive fraud. Because it was massive fraud, it was a phony election and should not have been certified. And that's her position. So from her point of view, she's acting within her rights as a lawyer and indeed is providing a public service. So they've got their defenses fully articulated. Uh, the question is going to have to be which crime are people being prosecuted under, which acts and which statements fulfill that. And when you get into the question of intent, the law gets very complicated on intent issues. When you kill somebody, intent matters as to whether it's manslaughter or murder. Now, here there was an effort to obstruct official proceedings, uh, which is a federal crime. And the official proceedings were something really important, which is the certification of the election of a president of the United States. And a prosecutor is going to have to look at that and other particular offenses and decide if they've got evidence of knowing actions. The problem for the prosecutor is that you have the effort to overthrow the government involving various types of legal challenges, including the fake elector scheme was an effort to create the semblance of legality um, for the effort to overturn the election. And then you have the insurrection, which was violent, which was done by people largely from the lower depths. And integrating those two things um, is Donald Trump and his efforts to get the insurrectionists to go to the Capitol and stop the counting um, in support of 
the phony elector scheme and the effort to have Mike Pence disregard results of the popular vote state by state. So if you look at it as an integrated scheme, it all makes sense. The question then becomes who did what to advance those two things? And are there defenses? Now, the people who are involved in the fake elector scheme are going to say, we were within our rights to do it. And it's going to be up to uh, the judges to decide um, what defenses are allowed and what defenses aren't allowed in front, of, in front of the jury. And that's all going to be very hard fought. Those are not going to be easy cases when you're going after what are essentially white collar political crimes. And they're very serious political crimes, but they're white collar people doing them. They're lawyers. Um, and they're doing them in support of beliefs that they uh, ostensibly genuinely had, that the election had been uh, fraudulent, and they had their theories. And uh, they're going to continue to articulate those theories um, if they're prosecuted. I don't think, it, I don't think it's a slam dunk. It's depend on what's inside all those exhibits that the January 6th committee did not make public, as well as the limited number of ones that they did. I don't know. I I think this is a pretty solid case. I'm not going to say airtight case, especially you can't say that when you're when you're talking about the alleged involvement of a former president of the United States. However, when you look at the other cases on top of the January 6th case, there is going to be so much pressure on so many of these people to make a deal. Because, all right, let me just refresh everybody's memory. You have the documents case, Mar-a-Lago. That's out there. You have the Fulton County, Georgia case with the call, again, recorded. You did have you did have tapes in the Watergate case. But this is something, in that case in Georgia, where the, the former president said just days before January 6th, Hey, can you find 11,780 votes? It's on, on tape. We all heard it at that time. And even then I was like, what? If you're talking about Donald Trump in Georgia, yes, that's, that's a different issue. A narrow case of going after him for an effort for his efforts to um, essentially uh, interfere with the election and corruptly procure um, uh corruptly uh, overturn the vote, uh, fake, uh, have votes thrown out or votes uh, accredited that weren't real. That case seems to me to be pretty straightforward. Well, exactly. But here's my point, Jonathan. And you're exactly right. But if you're a defendant and if you're a defense attorney, you're looking at all of these different cases and the walls closing in on the former president. And you're going to have a hard time fighting all of these accusations at the same time. At some point, you're going to have to make deals. You're going to have to compromise because there will be losses. I mean, I'm sort of jumping the gun here and saying he will face charges in some of these cases. I, I have a feeling he is going to face charges in some of these cases. Maybe I'll be wrong, but it just seems like it's heading in that direction. Certainly, Georgia is heading that direction. Yes. It's going to happen federally. It's too soon to say. The question is going to be, for me, at the heart of it, are they going to go after the participants in the fraudulent elector, the phony elector scheme of people who certified themselves as having won an election 
their, their, their nominee having won the election, Donald Trump, when the state results had said he'd lost. It's a pretty fundamental act of um, violation of their uh, obligations under state and federal law. And the intent was clear, offer yourselves up, notwithstanding the fact that um, the other guy won. And it was organized. And the question will be whether the federal prosecutors go after that or not. If they do, uh, they'll get to be a very clear record created of exactly how it was done, what its purposes were, who organized it, and um, its relationship uh, to the insurrection. So I think it is the most critical element of the whole uh, major case. And we don't yet know uh, what the federal prosecutor is going to do in relationship to it. Let's, let's switch gears just a little bit. I want to talk about how Washington changes people. And bear with me uh, on this question. Uh, and I do think you're a good person to ask this to because of your experience in Washington working at the State Department. Don't forget, Jeff, 10 years on Capitol Hill as well. On Capitol Hill, the, the seat of power. You've run in these circles. You run in these circles. Um, I was born in D.C., grew up all over the country and in the world. I've talked about that before. Um, you know, I I had the kind of childhood where uh, I, so, I, sort of, I was sort of naive. I thought everybody... You know, you know, good people all over the place, yada, 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 you know, politicians doing the right thing, yada, 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 people in power doing the right thing for the, uh, the good of the country. Uh, but part of the reason I got into journalism was to speak truth to power. I know it's a cliche, but I want, I think it's important in this country, in any democracy, having, and I've grown up in Africa, in uh, fledgling democracies that have gone off the rails because someone gets power. Robert Mugabe in Zimbabwe, for example, uh, he's lauded at first, but then he's intoxicated by power and sort of uh, becomes corrupt. That's what happened in a place like Zimbabwe. And, that, and I've digressed a little bit, but here's my point. What are the kinds of conditions that, that can develop in a city like Washington. People call it the swamp, and I understand that too. But it's it's more it's it's not it's really not about the swamp. It's about human nature, and because we're talking about an attempted coup, an insurrection, in the most celebrated democracy in the history of this world, and how is it? That after all this history in this country, yeah, we're young compared to Britain and France and other European nations and uh, Eastern nations. Our history is younger. This democracy is still this fragile experiment. But how is it a group of people can actually think, given all the checks and balances that are supposed to be in place in this country, uh, given to us by the Constitution. How is it that someone can think that they are powerful enough or have enough allies in any government agency or structure that you can actually overturn an election in this country? It's a very radical group of people 
who bit by bit by bit have been working to change who the justices are on the Supreme Court and the federal judiciary below them, as well as um, control Congress, as well as control the executive branch, as well as control the state legislatures. On a partisan basis, they'd like to create an integrated uh, solution in which all those institutions reinforce one another to carry out their agenda, which is why you see some of the same people who called for uh, the fake elector scheme and the denial of the certification of Joe Biden involved in the effort to prevent Kevin McCarthy from becoming Speaker of the House. Uh, McCarthy, of course, is not someone who has um, supported Joe Biden. He supported Donald Trump, but he's been viewed by some as insufficiently loyal or committed to the cause. But it's the same people showing up in legal case after legal case after legal case, um, um, pushing extreme theories about constitutional textualism and finding uh, in the Constitution just the words that were put into it, um, 234 years ago, if my calculation's right, um, and trying to bring us back to a society based solely on those words as interpreted by them. And all of this has to be looked at in that context, as well as the events of January 6th and Donald Trump's particular effort to stay in office. There's a broad ideological agenda here. There's a broad partisan agenda here. And there's a very personal agenda here. The ideological one is to have a certain kind of government representing certain kinds of people who don't want taxation and don't want regulation and who don't want um, constitutional protections for choice. And uh, some of them don't even want people to have access to contraception. And they want everybody to be able to have as many guns as they want without constraint. They want to see private militias able to operate uh, to supplement the federal government when they don't like the federal government and so on. Some of it's crazy stuff. So that's the ideological agenda. The partisan agenda is elect Republicans and get rid of Democrats and elect Republicans who will go along with that ideological line. And then the personal agenda is Donald Trump's agenda to be in power for the rest of his life. That all came together on January 6th. And how that's going to play out in terms of prosecutions, uh, I don't know. Um, I do think that uh, Trump faces serious criminal risk for what he did in Georgia. How far the feds will go is, is still very hard to, uh, hard to know. Always a pleasure bringing you on the program. Uh, really appreciate your time. You were good in 2022. You're even better in 2023. Thank you. You're welcome. My pleasure. This has been fun. The first show of 2023 has been fun for me. I don't know what's going to happen. I feel like there are going to be charges against the former president. Now, will he be charged like you or me if I had done some of the things he allegedly did? No. Justice will be different for him. And I'm speaking as someone who covers the Justice Department. Let's be real. Justice is not blind. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah, in a perfect world it would be, but it's not. He's different because he's a former president. And they are treated differently. Typically, they're applauded, celebrated, Republicans and Democrats. 
when a former president enters a room, you, you still stand and clap. One of the great things about this country is the transfer of power and how it's always been seamless until January 6th. And it brings me back to that question that I asked Jonathan, and I want you to think about it as well. What is it about power that can corrupt? Now, I'm not saying former President Trump is corrupt. I'm not saying Biden is corrupt. You know, I mean, listen, do I like it when people recognize me from my work on television? Yeah, I do. That's intoxicating. Do politicians like it when people recognize who they are? Yeah, they do. I've seen it. Do politicians like it when they have this power over other people's lives? I think they do. The question is, what do you do with that? How do you use that? We talked about the Republicans in the House. Right now, they have an opportunity to change American lives by developing legislation that will actually help their constituents. You can take the easy road and pick topics that, that are going to stir people up. And this applies to both Republicans and Democrats. But as someone who got into journalism to hold the powerful accountable, especially in this democracy, when you have media that is paying attention. Yeah, you have some media that just sort of parrot talking points. But the majority of the media in this country doesn't do that. I know what you hear, but the majority of the media in this country does not parrot talking points. We actually investigate. We actually try to hold people accountable for what they say to you, the listeners, the viewers, their constituents. That's what makes this democracy great. This is the first America Change Forever of 2023. Thanks for your time. Thanks for coming back. Because that is America Change Forever for this week. Thanks to Paul Woody Woodhull and District Productive. That is America Change Forever for this week. Thanks to Paul Woody Woodhull and District Productive. Don't forget that you can hear us on Sirius XM POTUS Channel 124 every Saturday. For now, I'm Jeff Begays, and that is how America Change Forever. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes Podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news, and culture maker interviews, and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free starting May 1st with a 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts.